Great. Hello, and welcome to the Yet Another Value podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Walker. And with me today, I'm excited to have two people from uh, Cove Street Capital. Uh, ben Claremont, who is a partner and portfolio manager, and Eugene Robin, who is a principal and research analyst at Claremont. Guys, how's it going? At Cove Street, I'm sorry. Guys, how's it going? Good. Doing well. Thanks for having us on. Great. Well, hey, l- let me start this podcast the way I do every podcast, and that's uh, by pitching, I guess, the two of you for this one. But I actually first heard of Cove Street uh, three or four years ago when you guys published a very detailed short rebuttal report on the stock that I'm going to talk that we're going to talk about today, Biasat. And it just stuck in my head because I remember reading it and thinking to myself, this is a really, really good piece of research. And, you know, especially three or four years ago, you know, it was still on the heels of all the reverse China merger frauds. I mean, a lot of people did not want to speak up against activist shorts for fear of being embarrassed. And I thought you guys published a really detailed response. And I thought it was, uh, it spoke to how convicted you were that you were willing to go out and say, hey, no, like the carousel published a short piece, a short report. And you guys said, hey, no, this is wrong. And, you know, I thought it spoke to conviction, how much work and how much confidence you guys had in it. So uh, that always really stuck with me. I've talked to both of you one off about other ideas. And uh, I can say that you guys have done an extreme amount of due diligence, research, thought on all of the ideas we've discussed. So I'm just really excited to have you guys on the podcast and to uh, talk about Biasat. Yeah, well, well, thanks for having us. I mean, that I think Eugene did all the work there. Um, and and but it goes to our philosophy to some degree that listen, we we don't have a monopoly on good ideas, and we and we are always looking for disconfirming information. So if someone's willing to engage with us in a productive um, sh- discussion about one of our securities, we love that. Right? We want to hear the short points. We want to hear what people are concerned about. We want to have a chance to to respond. So. You know, for us, you know, we we try not to we try not to get married to our ideas yep. and and our convictions and our theses. We wanna we wanna have a malleable mindset, and we want to be able to take people's input and 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 really investigate short points that people put out. So, um, you know, I think that is just it's emblematic of the amount of work we've done in in general, but especially when it comes to biasat. I'm with you. You know, a lot of times if I'm talking, if I'm, you know, one to 10, if I'm an eight or a nine on a company, I'm not going to get the most from talking to someone who's an eight or a nine. And I probably won't get a lot talking to someone who's a one because they might be so biased that it's almost not worth. But if somebody's a two or a three on a company or four, that's often the best conversation because you you have different lenses and different angles. And that's where you can really explore and learn a lot about the company and push back on the, uh, uh, on the thesis. So, yeah, I, I guess, Ben, why don't I think you you can start? Why don't we just discuss, you know, Viasat? What is it? Broad overview. Why are you guys so attracted to it? Yeah, so um, happy to do that. And and the reason, you know, we, we at Cove Street, we team tackle ideas. Um, and so, you know, like and and we we work on ideas jointly. Um, while, uh, while, you know, it's, uh, buy side is one of our largest positions in our small cap strategy. And it's the second largest position in the strategy that I co-manage, um, Eugene's the lead and he really has the longest history here. And I'll, I'll briefly describe that. Um, you know, Eugene worked for the company, his father worked for the company. Um, and so that gives us, it gives us a lens that it's really hard, I think, to replicate. And, and I'm just going to say it outright. This, we have no inside information here. We haven't, no one's worked there for years. Like we, you know, th- we, we, everything happens at arm's length with the company, but to understand the culture and the people, which is a big part of our process, having that background, I think is, is really important. And the other thing is, is just having a nuanced understanding of the business. Um, it, it, I've just, 
having owned this company for, like I think Eugene said, since 2014, um, it's just amazing to have to to understand like the degree to which you can you can build uh, a nuanced understanding of that business and the people want, if you had an inside point of view. And so that, that I think if, if you're wondering, we're always looking for what distinguishes us or what distinguishes, sorry, distinguishes our position in a, in a company. I think that longevity is helpful. So I'm just going to go really high level and, and, and talk about Biasat um, because um, it may seem like a difficult un- company to understand, but it, it's really not. Um, it's they 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 basically are supplying high throughput satellite connectivity to any number of end uses. Um, so if you, if you think about the world where um, every day there is more and more demand for connectivity, there's more and more demand for bandwidth. And w- what is five G? Five G from the wireless companies is a play on that. What is the love that you see in the U.S. Uh, cable market, the broadband market, right? The the fixed the fixed cable market, you know that comes, you know, it, it comes from the demand for bandwidth. And so Viasat is just another provider, and 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 they'll be global, but right now it's mostly it's mostly in North America and a little bit of South America, um, providing bandwidth to. Um, Anyone from rural consumers to in-flight Wi-Fi, uh, we'll talk about the military, which is a big opportunity. Um, and they also supply equipment into that space. Um, and, and Eugene, I think hopefully we'll get into their military business, which is a little different. It's, it's, it, they are supplying um, equipment and, and eventually connectivity, but there's other, there's other things that we like about that. So, um, you know, what's, what's really funny about this stock is it, it really in it it just brings out animal spirits and um big you know opinions about the ability for it to be successful one of the reasons is because um so many satellite companies have gone bankrupt i mean especially um people who who operate in the leo space which is low earth orbit and we'll get into that i hope uh, um what it what what all that is but it's just you know that, and the fact that SpaceX and 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 through through their Starlink sub is a competitor here. It's amazing to the degree that that you know Viasat gets all kinds. You know, there's just people have very very divergent opinions here. And in our experience, when people have that level of divergent opinions, there can be really interesting opportunities. So um, I have. Um, you know, Eugene and I have done a, a podcast and an interview on this and a presentation on this before, and 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 some of our slides, uh, which we're happy to to send over and put in the show notes, maybe, um, you know, talk about myths and, and misperceptions. And I think those are some things that we'd like to address here because I think there's a lot of misperceptions about this company, which is which is where um, you know where that where we think the value is. Um, but uh, I also, you know, at some point want to talk about just just pulling back from all of that hyperbole you read about and all the love for Elon Musk and all the, you know, all the worry about competition. I think there's like, it's really valuable to dig into the weeds, but it's also really valuable to step back and look at the industry overall um, and look at the the, the tailwinds it has and the the growing TAM and then any number of new uses that'll be enabled, um, you know, as connectivity um, starts to um, kind of be late rolled out as, as Viasat launches satellites. Um, so that's, that's the really high level of like our ownership, 
um, our history. Uh, oh, by the way, we, Jeff, our, our founder, has owned this company on and off for for a couple decades, actually. Um, and we have letters going back from like the 1990s where Jeff was harassing management. So, um, you know, this is this is a business that we've known for a long time, and we've you know it it, it has changed over time as well. Uh, and having Eugene on the team with his experience at the company. Um, has just been invaluable for us to like kind of pivot and understand the company as it's grown and changed. Uh, so Eugene, uh, you know, when I look at Biaset, I think the first thing when anyone mentions Biaset, Battleground Stock, right? Carousel published a short report. You guys uh, published a rebuttal. I think, Eugene, you were the one who published the rebuttal, if I'm re- remembering the report correctly. Um, it, short interest, 13% of the float, analyst price targets. I don't really look at it, sell side that much, but I just pulled up Bloomberg analyst price targets from 42 per share to 145 per share. I mean, huge range. When when you look at all these different perspectives and everything, what do you think is the the biggest thing that people miss or the biggest misperception about bias at? You know, maybe it's among the bears or maybe it's just among the people who are blah, but what do you think the yeah. biggest misperception is? I think the biggest misperception is that this is a play on residential broadband. And that misperception actually goes back to Carousel's piece. And, you know, Sam wrote a great piece and um, he, he had certain really great points. And fast forward six years and it, those points are still very relevant. So, I, and, and I've always said this to people, it's, I'm, not, I'm not arguing that, you know, you know this should never be shorted or uh, all, all the short points are incorrect. I'm, I'm arguing that they're just focusing on the wrong things. Um, the, the, the fact is that residential broadband was the initial like impetus for them to get into the satellite services space in, in, in the first place when they bought wild blue, which is true, but over the past, uh, six years, it's actually morphed into a multi-legged stool. So they have residential broadband, they have in-flight Wi-Fi. Um, they're going to have maritime services and offshore with the RigNet acquisition that they did. Um, they have community Wi-Fi, which is effectively what everyone from Facebook to, uh, well, Elon back in the day before he started charging $100 a month, uh, used to say like, oh, this is going to bring connectivity to poor people around the world. And that's not happening with Starlink. Um, it's actually happening with Viasat right now. Um, they have uh, they have uh, business just services. They have um, you know, kind of various, I don't know, uh, I guess co-ventures with, uh, with governments from Brazil to, uh, Mexico to, um, in some of the European countries that they have through the Utilsat, uh, former JV. So they have a lot of different kind of irons in the fire, right? That they don't just rely on residential broadband to, uh, sort of make the returns on their capital investments work. Um, the other thing, and I think the real biggest Miss that everyone just completely whiffs on. The crown jewel here is actually the government system side. So, I mean, when I worked at Viasat, that's what Viasat was. It was a government contractor. And they had, uh, you know, they were the upstart actually in the encryption networking piece of a lot of how the DoD does um, bat, real-time battlefield, battlefield communications. And so, you know, I worked within that network systems group and I saw from the inside out, you know, what Viasat's really, really good at versus you know, the competitors. And I will tell you that it, this was the case back then. And it's more so the case now. Um, most 
of the larger contractors, L3 or, uh, I mean, uh, Northrop or Lockheed would love to get their hands on Viasat's government business. Um, I think the private market value, you know, we've put out pieces, you know, ad nauseum about this, but uh, on uh, some of the parts that value itself is, you know, you can argue that it's, I'm not talking about the, you know, X the debt, right? Um, it's probably somewhere where the stock is right now, right? And that's always given us comfort that while the shorts may be correct in some of the, their points, um, they're not actually correct about the value and the inherent value within the system. So I think I think that's the biggest misperception is that this is just a residential play and that, oh, my God, Starlink is going to come in and eat everyone's lunch. And there's going to be you know, a singular winner and it's going to be uh, you know, Elon with the, you know, the pizza, the pizza on a stick. And that's going to be the end of Viasat and Hughes and Intelsat and Inmarsat and Utelsat and SES and all everyone else. Now, our argument's really more about, I think what he's doing at Starlink is incredible. And I think he's going to be successful, but he's going to expand the pie for everyone. And there will be losers. And what people forget is that the Viasat Geo system actually was the disruptor within Geo, as opposed to saying like, oh, they're this, you know, they're the sleepy government contractor and a person who's rolled the coattails of you know, terrible connectivity for years and years and years. And you could kind of point your finger at Hughes or SES or Intelsat or Inmarsat for that, for those, for that title. I mean, the, the incumbents really were those folks. Viasat just basically changed the game. And the, the, the concept of a high throughput satellite didn't exist until Viasat 1 was launched. Most people said like, oh, that's, that's nonsense. You know, Dankberg is out of his mind. There's no way that he's going to get those bit economics for Viasat 1. He got him. Uh, why I said too, that's nonsense. They're, it's never going to happen. They're never going to get, you know, uh, th- those sorts of connectivity, you know, down to the seat on a plane. They got them. Um, and now, you know, they have the third generation, which if you extrapolate it out after the full system is launched across the world, uh, three terabits, it's going to be more than every single competitor in geo put together multiplied by, I think, a factor of roughly eight. So, you know, there's a, I always talk about one of the things that, um, you know, who's going to win. Right. And I think Mark does a great job when he talks about the industry, you know, there's going to be a a pie and your share of the pie is going to be your bandwidth capacity in space. So if I have three and a half terabits and the overall bandwidth capacity is 15 terabits and people are, are sucking up bandwidth as much as they can, which I agree with, with Elon and everyone who's going into kind of space connectivity, you know, you roughly, you're looking at a 20-ish percent market share. And I think that's the overall point. You know, uh, if you a- aggregate all the existing satellite systems, it's probably around 10 billion, depends on how you define it, 10 billion of revenue right now, today. So uh, people are valuing Viaset as if it's going to get zero to two or four percent of it and that's i don't i think that's a miss just a misperception of the value that they're going to put forth and that's really that's what we're kind of betting on with the fact that you know the military side gives us a base level of comfort from which to start from 
Um, you know, I'm, again, I'm happy to go through. I know that was kind of long-winded response to your question. No, 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 that was perfect. Let, let me just jump right into some pushbacks, right? I think the first pushback anybody who's like who's an investor is going to have is they're going to say, hey, Eugene is the lead on this, right? And he used to work at Viasat, which gives him great insight. But it does, like, first thing that jumps up to me is he worked on the government side. And then he's going to say, hey, the government side is the crown jewel. He worked there. He worked there. Like, it I, I think the obvious first pushback is Eugene, are you too connected to this? So like how, how do you separate out kind of your past from an objective look at this company? That's a great question. Well, I, a, I have um, everyone else at Vias at, or at Cove street that uh, kind of pushes me to not prove, but at least defend the, 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 the long points that we have. And it's, and it's a constant thing, right? I mean, there's, there's news flow happening daily on Leo's and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I, I certainly get internal pushback, but, you know, ex, you know, for my own sort of sanity, um, I've, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you that I haven't changed my assumptions or expectations as, as time has progressed. And I have, um, I think one of the biggest ones is, uh, I, I did, used to believe that they could have a bigger and bigger um, install base for residential. And that has changed, right? Because I'm not going to sit here with my head in the sand and saying like, oh, you know, Starlink isn't going to work. I mean, it's not only is it going to work, it's working, right? So you can't say like, oh, well, that's not going to happen. Okay. So that that is something that's different from, I think, when Sam at Carousel um, wrote his short as there's an actual, I mean, his short was based on 4G, which was, I don't think he quite understood uh, the nuances of where towers are built and things like that. But, um, you know, I think fast forward, there is a real competitor that I believe will capture a very large share of, you know, traditional rural residential broadband. So, you know, that, that assumption changed over time. Um, at the same time, like I, you know, um, I didn't think that they'd be as successful as they are in, in, in flight Wi-Fi. And, uh, you know, in 20, obviously being a very bizarre year, uh, Everyone, you know, kind of took a uh, took a break from um, expanding the uh, the in-flight Wi-Fi capabilities of the fleets, but that's just a breather, right? In longer term, it's hard to argue that uh, when you go on a plane, whether it's international or domestic, and I'm saying around the world, not just in the U.S. I'm saying you know Europe, uh, Asia Pacific, Middle East, Africa, wherever you are, I think you're going to go on with the expectation and with the realization that you can, in fact, have um, some version of high speed speed connectivity at your seat. Right. So um, I think that has actually progressed faster than I thought. So that that was like a bump up in my model, um, you know, going through to the, their international uh, kind of footholds in Brazil uh, and the things that they're doing in Europe. Um, you know, I, I check in on people, resellers and whatnot once in a while to see how things are going. And I will tell you, again, the maxim of if you build it, they will come it fits here. Like it's all about bandwidth availability not it's not that there's no desire for bandwidth it's just there is no bandwidth right historically satellite has been so terrible that you know people said oh it's, it's a hor- horrific service and you know i'd never use it but if if you actually provide someone with a good service it's been shown in the wild that people will buy it um so anyway i, I constantly like pick at my, the the my assumptions of value right and what are the drivers for it um you know like, like i said residential broadband uh um, in-flight connectivity, some community Wi-Fi, uh, what they consider to be other 
kind of avenues for growth, whether it's their, their, uh, their Mexican ventures or some of the schools that, that they're doing in Brazil. And then obviously the military being the big one, the biggest ones that I think that people kind of, um, you know, again, I, I don't think they quite understand what's happening there, but um, anyway, so I, 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 I do push back at like, you know, what is the earnings power when this entire system is up and running? And, and this is such a difficult company really to defend because it's a show me stock, right? Like I can tell you everything you know, I just said, but in reality, until they have a worldwide uh, capable kind of, you know, network of satellites up uh, that pumps out over three terabits per second of, of available capacity, it's speculative in that sense. And I think that's truly why people hate this thing is it's not that it's, you know, they haven't done a good job. I mean, look at their results. I, I, I think starting from a base level of zero and learning how to sell residential and learning how to be in Wi, you know, in, in, in flight Wi-Fi, things like that. They've done a fantastic job. They destroyed GoGo. They destroyed Global Eagle. Right when they pointed their their uh, connectivity at that market, um, they won a, not only a fair share but a great part of the rural broadband um, um, kind of pie, uh, and they took it from Hughes and left kept it. Right, so it's not like they've been doing this in you know in a vacuum of no competition. So anyway, I, I my my biggest thing is I you know I I I know the drivers of value and I know what it'll take to make the each satellite economic and, and hit their internal rates of return. And I constantly measure whether or not, you know, I, I can see them marching towards that goal. And the day that I can, you know, someone can show me that, you know what, you thought that this constellation would provide X dollars of profitability and it's not revenue, it's profitability for me. And it's only like X times 0.65. If you can, if someone can show me that, then I would say, you know, what? I'm wrong. I'm selling the stock tomorrow because their model isn't working, and they're, you know, it's it's just, uh, you know, they're maybe going to get their capex back in terms of returns, but they're certainly not going to make a, a you know a positive return on invested capital. But I, 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 you know, the way that I track it internally, I still see them earning very high returns on their invested dollar. So. I guess that's it. And, and look, I, I wasn't trying to, to accuse you of that. I was just saying that that's the obvious first red flag for anyone. Ben, I, I don't know if you want to add, add anything to uh, that. Yeah. I mean, we have a process uh, that involves two longs and one short for every idea. And you know, the short analyst on Viasat has probably jumped around multiple times over the years so that everyone could get their shots at Eugene. <laughs> um and and we just have we have a very um, iterative process at, by which every day we're sending emails to Eugene, being like, "What is this? What does this mean? You know, is this is this good? Is this bad? What about regulation? I mean, there's just this, this stock just comes with a lot of baggage is probably the right word because you've got all these competitive set. You got the, you've got the hype of Elon Musk. You've got all this, like what in the world are the, are the regulators going to do if we're, we're launching tens of thousands of satellites into the sky? Is that ever going to be, is that ever going to slow down? Like is, are the regulators ever going to look at whether that makes sense? Like these, there's so many things that go along with this that there, as Eugene said, there's constant news flow. Um, and so we have to keep him fresh. We have to keep the idea fresh. We have to continually update our understanding of the competitive set, the TAM, um, and then emerging opportunities. And so for sure, um, the investment thesis has changed 
to some degree as you know the military business has gotten bigger as in flight wi-fi has actually become a very large you know opportunity for them so i think we've evolved with with the idea and you know there are no there not a week goes by where we are not poking at eugene's theses and you know to some extent what can what can he say other than let's see what biosat 3 looks like Right. We've got three satellites that are going to go up over the next two, two and a half years. They're going to have global coverage of, you know, for a for in-flight Wi-Fi. They're going to have incredible assets as a as as a result of um, having a satellite over um, Asia and um, kind of the Middle East. Right. There's all kinds of defense applications for that, which, you know what, it's it's a show me stock until it's up. The military is not going to buy connectivity. Um, But I I think and I hope we'll get into this a little bit, Biosat's planted a number of Trojan horses within the military um, that are going to lead to connectivity um, relationships. You know, they have a lot of equipment on the ground already, whether it's the Link 16 um, uh, business or there's just the, all the, gra- the base stations, the ground stations that they've been installing and they will be installing, right? That, these are the things that you have to be able to look around the corner Um to be able to understand just to size and to, to, to actually know that they're going to be there. And that's where the nuanced understanding of the business comes from. So let me just stick with broad concerns here. So, uh, you know, I think by set three, eight or 10 X is their capacity. I, I can't remember the exact, but it, it's a lot of extra capacity. And, you know, I, I invest in telecom, you know, one of my largest positions is cable. And when I hear, hey, we're doing a ginormous increase in capacity and all this capacity is going up across the industry, like that actually causes me concern, right? Because I, I, I have visions of Verizon Fios coming in and overbuilding and Google Fiber or, you know, people who have a little bit more gray hair than both of us might think back to kind of the 2000 timeframe where all these telecoms are just laying down huge amounts of capacity and then all the capacity lights up and the demand isn't quite there. And there's a, you know, prices are just dropping, 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 dropping. So you know, when you look at Biosat, you see, hey, Biosat 3 is coming on. That's going to be a huge increase in capacity at the same time that, um, you know, Starlink, uh, SpaceX, as you guys mentioned, is dropping huge increases in capacity with LEO. It's a little bit of a different business. But, you know, I, I see lots of capacity coming online across the board. And that to me says, ooh, there could be the potential for price increases. And I think I kind of overlay that thought with the and Eugene, you mentioned it, you know, the history of satellite providers is there's a lot of bankruptcies. You go, go, Intelsat, just, you know, most satellite companies end up in bankruptcy at some point. So I see both of those two kind of co- coalescing into one giant overarching sector risk, if that makes sense. So I, I, I don't know which one of you wants to respond or how you want to respond, but I, I think that's probably another big sticking point. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Um, I, I think that uh, the way that I've always looked at it and what you said is hundred percent correct. And I think even when um, uh, I responded to Carisdale back in the day, uh, I, I said, you know, one plus one does not equal two in the satellite industry. One plus one is like, one, you know, I said 1.8, but it's probably even less than that. And what I meant by that, and it still is the case, um, when you increase your capacity by eight X, that doesn't mean that you have eight times as many customers. In fact, you might only have 20% more customers, but what, what happens is, you price on a per bit delivered basis much lower, right? And in the end, um, you, people just have to think about connectivity and you, even the way that you get connectivity at your house. I mean, connectivity is a commodity, right? I mean, it's it, what do you care about? You care about, I want to have the fastest speed I can get with the highest 
you know, uh, available actual capacity for the lowest dollar cost. And the government is no different. I mean, they have certain requirements in terms of encryption and, and then, you know, things that are more hardware dependent, but um, even then they, they care about that too. Right. And so my, my answer to anyone who's like, Oh, well, what all this capacity? I'm like, totally. But let's, let, let's just, let's say that again, think of it as the, the pie example, right? If, if the pie of capacity is, I'm just making a number of 10, 10 terabits, right. And you buy said control three and a half of those. On, on all else being equal, right? If you're just pricing per bit at the exact same price as your competitors, right? So you're undifferentiated because you're a commodity. You should get roughly 35% of the pot, right? I mean, just, I'm, it's, it's not rocket science. Now here's, here's the little, the nuance that comes in. On a per bit basis, the third generation of ISS satellites are gonna come in at something around 90 cents roughly. Hughes in Jupiter 2 is at 250. The Utilsat system is at $7. The Inmarsat GX, which was once upon a time a great network, is at 56. I'm not, you know, I, I should just say that's probably the, the generation before the current one, but even the current generation is it's not that great. So my, my, the, the, my overall point is that if I control the lowest priced commodity on, on, on an actual marginal cost basis, I'm going to win versus my competitors. And in the end, the competitors in Europe and the Middle East and Asia haven't seen Biosat. The ones in the United States have. And, and what happened is, you know, GoGo went away, Global Eagle more or less went away. Uh, Hughes had to scramble and spend a lot of money and you know, it wasn't them, but, you know, Laurel stole the designs for Viasat 1 from Viasat in, in order to actually, Jupiter, the Jupiter system is Viasat, which is funny. No one talks about that, but the, the core building blocks of it came from technology that, you know, Hughes bought from Laurel, which then Laurel stole. Um, so in essence, like, <laughs> our, our premise is that once the Viasat system is activated over Europe, and if they have, if they, you know, this the, the, the key for them is if they have a good enough distribution strategy on the ground in Europe, they will win a piece of the pie. I don't know how big, again, I, we can all make conjecture and projections and things like that, but it will be greater than zero. And that will be additive, right? Let me, let me ask you a, a stupid question from someone who is not a satellite expert, right? You, you mentioned uh, Biosat 3, the cost per bit will be 90 cents versus, you, you know, a bunch of everyone else's multiples higher, right? When I think of satellite or any type of data, right, I, I think the marginal cost of getting that bit is extremely low. So when you say the, the cost of a bit on Biosat is 90 cents versus a competitor at two or three dollars, is that the marginal cost per bit, or is this is that the all-in cost? Like, how, all how are you in. thinking yeah. about that? Because I would almost think for all these guys, the marginal cost is going to be zero. But it, sure. it sounds like I might be a little off on this. No, 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 hundred percent. You're when I say like marginal cost, and this I guess it's it's the improper term because it's yeah, you're, you're correct in economic terms. It would there everyone's marginal cost is zero because they have all the sunk costs that they've already put into the capital expenditures. And the same thing for Vice. I, I I look at people on a on a baseline all-in basis, which gotcha, I have gotcha. done okay. the analysis for, you know, the Leo side too. And, you know, the thing that, you know, I think that uh, uh, um, Starlink and Musk have 
that other Leos never had is they have Musk. And he is a money-raising machine. And this is why I, I really do think he's going to be, he, it's going to be like Iridium, right? You know, there, is, there was a once a Leo uh, player that uh, survived the, the late 90s, early 2000s. And, I, and, and, and Starlink will be, survive and thrive because they have a very large pool of capital that doesn't really seemingly care about economics. And so they will provide that capital to build out the system. And again, one of the things that I was wrong about, and, and you know, uh, you can ask Ben, and we had many discussions, this is like three or four years ago, about like, you know, whether or not the system would be built. And I was like, this is crazy. Who would fund this? This is going to take nine and a half billion dollars. They're getting funded. So I was clearly wrong, right? So well, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of Tesla shorts who made this, uh, who made this same but, mistake and uh, it was a lot more costly for them. No, totally. And, and you know what? And this is, goes back to like, you know, I adjusted my expectations for residential broadband accordingly because, you know, I was like, I couldn't believe my eyes, but sure enough, it was getting built. And, you know, he's going to provide a very interesting service, not to that, as many people as people think, but he's going to be a very interesting service. And not to talk too much SpaceX, but I do, I mean, you know, as a cable investor, SpaceX won, uh, what is it, the RDOF or whatever, the rural, the rural bed out, I think they're getting 800 million from the government or something. And I know a lot of cable investors were like, oh my God, and especially not, especially generous were like, Elon Musk coming for the cable companies, bro, what you going to do? But I just don't think that, you know, for rural, I think it makes sense, but Right now, SpaceX, the rural internet, it's like $500 for the equipment plus $80 per month. I'm sure that'll come down over time, but like, unless you're real rural, it just doesn't make any any economic sense. So, so again, I I can't, I still don't quite know how much of the demand for Starlink are just fanboys from the urban areas. Um, I know, I know, obviously, there if you're in, in the middle of North Dakota, um, you know, I, I track the the speed tests and whatnot. People post. On Reddit, um, and so certainly, you know, like those those folks are that's fantastic. Like, what a great service! And and he's going to make their lives a lot better by providing that service. So, I, you know, I know there's a there's like a need for it to say that they're going to compete against cable. It's a it's a joke. I mean, I was I was trying to explain this. The um, satellites aren't infinite, right? I mean, there's there's actual like physical, like as in physics. Yeah. That, that are involved with the, the available capacity, right? And, and when you have your satellite system up on the ground, technically speaking, I can hit terabit speeds, right? If I have the available capacity, if there's one person on my network, right? Yeah. So I, like people are like, well, how fast can it be? He can make it as fast as he wants it, right? I mean, he, he's like, oh, it's gonna, the speeds are gonna double next year. He could do that. How? Well, you just reduce the available number of users and the ones that are on your platform have really high speeds. I mean, it's not, it's not, it is rocket science. <laughs> this is one thing Biosat's been saying, right? With Biosat too, they've been saying, hey, we're, we're having to make this trade-off. Yes. Do we want more customers who we give less speed or do we want less customers who we kind of live up to their speed expectations and we right. wait to get Biosat 3 up there and can kind of provide them the speed they, they want to need? In, in satellite talk, it's called, it's link budgeting. So link budgeting is the, the key to life. I mean, that's how... You can go from you know having a thousand users with great service to ten thousand users and and ninety five hundred of them put you know uh, writing customer service reports saying like you guys are terrible. 
it, it is what it is, right? This is this is the problem. Has always been the problem with, with with satellite, and goes back to the point of you know you 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 rightfully mentioned that there's this massive you know explosion of capacity, and honestly, most of the people that have had satellite service look at the consumer reports, right? Hate it because there's not enough capacity. So while, as I said, it's not going to be additive in the sense of uh, you're going to you're going to generate more users. But the users that you will have, you will give them a better service, right? So part of part of the capex is is basically a giveaway to your existing customers. And the uh, and the, the growth part of that though is it will allow you to allocate to link budget uh, things more and more to in-flight Wi-Fi, to the military, to community Wi-Fi applications, to maritime uh, areas that haven't actually been touched by anyone. Um, and I think, honestly, this is why, uh, you know, Elon is doing what he's doing, because I think he sees this massive pie. And he, he I think he believes, honestly and, truth, and, and, and rightfully so, that uh, if you build it, they will come because no one has provided that great of a service before. Uh, and he's right about that. So, um, you know, anyway, the. Let me switch uh, track. So one of the things I, I, I like the most about your short rebuttal report, all these reports is. The argument, hey, if you look at this on a sum of the parts basis, there's this hidden gem in the in the government business, right? Which you mentioned earlier. I, I think the rough math is, hey, most other government contractors with size and scale margins this good trade for 15 times EBITDA or something. And if you do the math on that, uh, that's worth, you know, closing in on the current stock price of Viasat. Obviously, you've got to take some debt out and everything. But I, I guess there are a couple questions on it. The first was, I remember in your in the short roller report, you specifically said, hey, if you gave us a week, we could call and have eight bidders for this in the next week very easily. My first question would be, how the government contracting, I mean, it all operates off the satellite, right? So how can you hive this off as a different piece than the satellite business? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, no, it does. So in essence, uh, we, you'd be transfer pricing and it basically be, uh, you know, a, a fair price, you know, compensation for whatever, uh, uh, the defense side buys. And right now the defense side, if you, people can break it apart, right? They'll, they break it up between product and service. So part, this part of the service revenue, uh, runs through Viasat's existing network, but the biggest chunk of it actually comes from, uh, reselling other connectivity providers. Cause obviously Viasat doesn't have connectivity, connectivity over the middle East, which is, uh, you know, uh, large demand for uh, government services um, and doesn't have connectivity over APAC. So uh, I believe that the margin profile would still be the same. So people have said to me like, well, if you know, if you hive off this part, then you're going to have to pay market rates or go the margins for government systems are going to decline. And I'm like, yeah, true. That would be the case if hundred percent of the services was running through the device at network, but that's not the case. They're actually reselling other people's connectivity right now, which by the way, uh, you know, let's say let's, not, let's forget about some of the parts. And if you think about uh, what happens when they have a global network and they don't have to pay people for, uh, you know, buying their bandwidth. Yep. You know, that's you magically create value just by flipping on the switch and redirecting the bits on your own system. All of a sudden, all that cost drops to zero because, exactly. uh, as we talked about, the marginal cost once they get Viasat three up, it's zero. So all these exactly. costs for reselling the Middle East and uh, Asia 
Anyway, so, but, so going back to your question about the, the defense side, I think, you know, it, it, it is separable. Um, they, you know, if you speak to the company and it, it is the case that a lot of the R and D um, that's uh, initiated at the defense level um, helps the commercial networks. Side. Yep. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a fair point. Like it's, it's, it's been put together in the way that it's been put together for a reason, but that's not to say that you couldn't separate. I mean, you could, you really could. And, and by the way, they're two different cultures. And I, I was there, probably, I don't know, a year and a half ago at last and uh, just walking around the campus, you know, seeing the commercial connectivity side of, uh, versus the people that I used to work with. And uh, just, what you would imagine to be a more software, like millennial culture on the connectivity side versus like the old stodgy, like, I, I, you know, I was a Marine and, you know, I, I, you know, and I sell like a, a hardened communication equipment to guys who are in SOCOM, who are on the ground, yeah. like uh, killing people in Syria, completely different right? in terms of the way they are. So it doesn't seem like, obviously you've got this, some of the parts is kind of your a fundamental backdrop of the thesis, but it doesn't sound like you, you think, Governments getting getting hived off and sold away from satellite and the core vice at business. Anytime. Has there ever been a satellite business that has sold just their government services businesses and kind of retained the rest of the business? That's a great question. I don't, I don't think so, because uh, uh, also, you know, like the traditional satellite uh, vendors like SES and uh, Intelsat and Marsat, they always just had, you know, a connectivity line, right? I mean, they yeah. would get between like government services and commercial maritime, but in the end, it's all the same to them. In, for Viasat, the, their government systems is very uh, specifically unique in the sense that the Link 16 family of products from MIDS-J to BATS-D to uh, the, the KG family of encryptors, I mean, those are products, right? So they have, technically speaking, nothing to do at all with the satellite. Now, as Ben mentioned, those are the Trojan horses because the the warfighters are out there, uh, you know, risking their lives and using unified communication systems. Those systems are, are powered by uh, uh, Viasat's hardware and encryption algorithms. So you can see that, like, if I'm going to bid for an RFP. Um, I, again, I'm not saying that that's the, how the government is doing this, but if if they were saying like, "Hey, uh, we'll bundle our you know the Bats D handhelds that are given to the individual warfighters war with a, a, a you know promise of connectivity at X," right? It's 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 a better value proposition for the U.S. military than going through separate vendors and you know picking and choosing this and that. So anyway, I, I think I think that you know Ben referenced it before. I think that gives them a little bit of a better edge. And if if you want to, you know, kind of say like, oh, maybe this guy's full of you know uh, uh, crap and and check on stuff themselves. The Viasat just literally won a contract to design the military's next generation um, satellite connectivity, uh, uh, um, not system, but uh, approach. So they're basically acting as a consultant to the DO, uh, to the Air Force specifically, to say like, hey, you know, there's Leo, there's Geo, where should, you know, what should you guys do uh, to that better or best optimizes what you actually need in terms of the uh, uh, connectivity for the various programs that you have. 
And so, you know, like they're giving this ability to decide, to have input to someone who's a vendor on the geo side. I mean, that I think should tell people everything they need to know about what the parts of the DOD think about um, uh, the people at Viasat uh, and their importance to secure and encrypted communications for people who are actually on the ground uh, doing the fighting. Um, anyway. That's great. Ben, let me let me zoom out for a second because I, I think we got into the weeds, and I, actually, I think we did a really nice job of <laughs> explaining how this government specific piece actually is really good. But let me zoom out for a second and hit you with what I'm going to call the stock the stock price bro bear case, right? Uh, the short report came out 2016, 2017. You guys published a rebuttal. Uh, at the time, the stock's in the 60s or 70s. Here we are today; it's in the 50s. You know, last July, multi-year lows. The company does an equity issuance at, for at $40 per share. Uh, they do another, I think they issue 5% of the company to buy Rignet and what I, I think is an interesting acquisition. But, you know, if I'm just if I'm just looking at it, I'm saying, hey, you guys have been wrong. The stock's down. Uh, this is a satellite company. Yes, it's CapEx intensive, but it's not exactly like that CapEx is a secret. And they just had to dilute shareholders pretty massively at multi-year lows in, you know, at the height of the pandemic in July. When I look at all that, I say, hey, this company doesn't treat their equity very dearly. Uh, stock price has gone the wrong way it's been wrong, you know, like, why am I not looking at a company that I think another bear piece is they've never really generated true free cash flow. I know you guys have pushed back on that. But, you know, if I roll out all that up, it does paint a little bit of a, oh, something weird is going on here. And the company might think their shares are, you know, better served issuing shares than kind of keeping the share count down. So how would you respond to that as portfolio manager? Yeah, I mean, listen, anything that you can come up with, um, we have relayed to them regarding our concerns about, you know, timing of equity issuance, um, you know, why use equity for Rignet? I mean, these are, these are things that we talk about, but let's, let's talk a little bit about the unique circumstances that that, you know, 2020 put them in. Absolutely. Right? absolutely. So first of all, you have the IFC, their in-flight Wi-Fi business, which was about to really start to hit a trajectory as, I mean, you can see that recent news that they've just won 300 new planes from Delta um, that'll be switched over from one of their competitors. I think they had an enormous amount of momentum to start really building that business. Um, and then, of course, COVID hit and people stopped flying. So not only are you not winning new business because the airlines are freaking out and not not you know spending a lot of time spending money, you know, outfitting planes to 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 work with Viasat versus some of the competitors. You also have, you know, just the 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 variable nature of that business, the, the variable revenue based on how many people are flying, take rates and stuff like that for Wi-Fi. Those are way down. And in the middle of that, you're spending for a, th a three satellite constellation that you just can't stop spending for, right? Like this is to some extent, not no pun intended here, but there's a space race here, right? And, and they really need to be able to, you know, hit the timelines in order to work with Boeing to get these satellites launched. So, um, you know, I think they found themselves last year staring down a situation where there, there was a potential liquidity problem. And so the question is, do you want a slightly, you know, smaller, you know, uh, slightly smaller pie for everyone? Or do you want to risk something really catastrophic where, you know, the, the pot that you have, in, you know, permanent capital impairment from some kind of finance, dilutive financing you have to do? Look, I mean, in hindsight, anybody who raised a dollar of equity and didn't just, add, you know, lever their balance sheets more in 2020 looks foolish, 
Right. And, but I, I will say, and I say this all the time when people are asked about like, you know, what, you know, what, what did you guys miss in 2020? What were you wrong about? Yeah. In hindsight, we were wrong about a lot of things. We should have just, you know, levered up and bought everything that was that, you know, cause everything went up. But my point is that, you know, there were other paths, right? There was a, there were other outcomes whereby, you know, maybe things don't get better as quickly as they have. So I, I think, you know, it, th- these are very fair points and these are things that we debate internally a lot. Um, I think, you know, having Bowpost there as, as a board observer and having the Bowpost be the largest shareholder, they participated in the offering. Um, you know, I think that gives us a little bit of comfort, but, but, you know, it was, there was a confluence of factors that were sort of unlucky. They kind of hit a, a perfect storm. Um, the Rignet deal, I'll let Eugene, you know, weigh in a little bit, but they, if you read through the proxy, the deal proxy, they've been working on this, what, it was like since 2016, Eugene, or something like that. Like they've been looking at this deal for five years. It makes an enormous amount of sense. Um, You know, we don't want to say too much. It's not that we know something that no one else knows. Just open up the RigNet 10K and look how much they spend on, you know, other getting connectivity from other people and just kind of getting to your point, Andrew, about, you know, what happens when you have your own capacity, all that reselling and buying capacity from others goes away. Um, You know, we we think that, you know, this is a very, very good deal. as they need a shareholder vote, they're going to, they're being slightly coy about, you know, talking about all the synergies that are going to come from it because they need the, the Rignet shareholders to approve it. But the only way this was going to get done was through equity. And so again, if this is an enormously um, logical deal from a, from a sales channel perspective, from a new um, total addressable markets, whether, you know, kind of in the maritime oil and gas, right. All of these uses that have never had legitimate connectivity, um, you know, it, were were you excited to issue equity where they did? I, of course not, right? You wish what you really want is you want and you want to issue equity at an enormous price and enormous multiple and buy something that's trading at a really low multiple and then get all the synergies from it. That's the holy grail. They're not going to get that here, but this, the deal makes an enormous amount of industrial logic, um, and we don't think there's a lot of dilution relative to the opportunity. Eugene, any 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 other thoughts on the equity stuff? No, I, I think um, you know from on the Rignet side, they, they've been talking to them for a long time, and in the end, it it was up to KKR, and you know, seemingly that since KKR is ruling, um, that indicates that they probably wanted equity and didn't want to check because if you look at the their own proxy, people approached them uh, in cash offers, and they said no to those. So you, you can because you know just do the math, right? I and mean, that's I think it's pretty. Um, evident that uh, uh you know this deal was going to be an equity deal and it's unfortunate that you know biasat was hated <laughs> as it's often ha- been hated for the you know, off and on for the past five years um and it was a low point and you know i i agree with you it's it the, the optics are pretty bad um issuing equity at you know what in hindsight was the bottom and um the covid 20s uh looks terrible to, as well. Um, I, can't, I can't even defend, you know, I, I, Mark Inkberg is a, is a great, um, you know, cultural leader. And, uh, you know, I, I personally put him up there and in terms of tech visionaries for her a specific vertical. Um, but, you know, I can't say that he cares per se what you or I think about the short-term stock price. 
because he doesn't manage this business like that. He never talks about stock prices and all the town halls that he, you know, I, 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 I was ever a witness to myself. Um, he manages a business for 10 years and that's how he thinks and acts. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a problem on, in our world, because we think of things that may be in three-year terms, right? And so that the, the people who are like, oh, this has been a terrible investment. All right, well, you know, in June or forget, whatever, June of 2019, it was a great investment. Yep. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Has anything changed since then? I mean, Starlink, I guess, is, is now operational. So that's probably the biggest change, I would say. But other than that, nothing, right? I, I don't see... A competitive dynamic changing on the in-flight Wi-Fi. I only see them continuing to win more and more tails. Um, so anyway, I, you know, I, I again, fair all fair points. And I, as I as I've said, um, you know, I, I people who dislike the stock have you know very specific reasons, and you know, I, I can uh, reason them away in my mind, right? But you know, I, I think those are fair points, and uh, you know, certainly, I think. Um, Similar to when Carousel wrote their short, we're in this air gap period between system launches. And I believe that once, specifically once the European one is up, that a lot of this conversa- these conversations about uh, bad returns and no cash flows and this and that and you know the questions about growth potentials and all that other stuff that i think people have always piled on um in these air gaps specifically uh those will be uh, uh cleared away um for the uplift that um we see let me, let me just obviously look there's lots of different segments and they're competing for a lot like you know in flight is a much different competitive landscape and technical capabilities and everything the rural broadband and that's different than the government but let me just zoom out a second you know again I, I i've invested in cable and for a long time one of the bear cases for cable was hey 5g wireless broadband is coming and it's gonna it's gonna beat cable and all the cable execs and i, I believe this you know this is why i have a position cable all of them said hey look 5G wireless, great. Yes, it, it could serve. It might serve some rural homes. It might serve, but if you really wanted to over, if you really wanted to compete with cable, you're basically an overbuilder, right? Because you're going to have to build that within 200 yards of someone's home, get that signal going, give them equipment and stuff. Like it, it looks very much like an overbuilder. And the the real thing is, what wins with home broadband and what wins with the internet is having that pipe, that cable or fiber pipe, as close to the consumer as possible. That's the most important thing. So if I zoom out and I look at Biosat, you know, which is GEO, which is hundreds of miles in the air, you can correct me if I'm wrong, versus LEO, which is what SpaceX is doing, which is a lot closer. I think it's 65 miles in the, into the atmosphere. I can't remember off the top of my head. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But when I just look at that in general, I say, oh, you know, overall, LEO is closer to the is closer to the consumer, maybe for rural broadband, maybe we're talking government, whatever we're talking about. It's closer to the consumer. Closer to the consumer generally means lower latency. It generally means better speeds, all that type of stuff. So why does LEO, why is Viasat's GEO option the right option overall? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think those are all correct statements, except for LEO being lower doesn't mean um, faster speeds. Um, speeds are independent of uh, uh, the plane of which you orbit the Earth. Um, it, it means certainly less lag, just, you know, the actual yeah. physical uh, uh, distance between the, the and connectivity point put, uh, and the satellite is, is lower. 
Um, so I, I mean, I guess if you're a gamer and you use Twitch a lot, um, or live streamer, that, that will matter to you. If you're the if you're a video 90, podcaster, you got to have that latency tight. Correct. So I can yeah, interview yeah. two people yeah. from coaching so, at the same time. So all, all those, those video podcasters in the middle of North Dakota are, you know, just SOL right now in terms of uh, Viasat and Hughes. So they're going to have to switch over to uh, Elon. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just I don't think that there are that many people who care um, enough so that they're going to pay $500 for equipment and then $100 a month for, for service, right? And, and in the end, you know, what does someone care about? They care about, again, I want to watch Netflix and Hulu and whatever, and I want to go on YouTube and waste three hours of my life. And I, I want to browse the internet and go on whatever Reddit and the other 55 things that people do order food or go on Amazon. None of those things are prevented right now. by, now, what, by you, that what you're describing is on the, the rural broadband side, which yeah. I, I think there's value, but it, it, as you said, it's become less important over time. But like, if I'm a if I'm the government and Viasat's coming and pitching to me, why is my answer to them not, Hey, SpaceX has this LEO system, which is lower latency, which is huge for government, right? Because milliseconds can make all the difference in the world in a battle or fight or whatever. So why why is the government not saying three years from now, hey, Biaset, we're going to start start dialing back because this huge SpaceX system's in the air. And, you know, Wall Street Journal has the Elon Musk and Amazon are battling to put internet in your backyard. Obviously, we're not talking real, but there's SpaceX, Amazon, Jeff Bezos, I, I, uh, it's Blue Origins are looking to put up. Why is the government not trying to shift more to LEO? Why is not that not a risk in the medium term? Uh, so the answer is there they are. And um, I encourage everyone to read. Actually, of all places, the GAO came out with uh, 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 an audit of uh, government satellite service purchasing in 2019. And they put a big, like, 80-page paper out about it. And they talked about, you know, what's the appropriate use of, and I think it's, somewhere around four and a half billion that the U.S. between the DOD, State Department, and all the agencies you, you know, spend on connectivity, just so you understand how big that pie is, um, besides the residential broadband side. Um, and what they said is like, you know, uh, speaking to various stakeholders, you know, ranging from the Air Force, Navy, the State Department, we think that the best solution going forward is a hybrid system of geo and Leo. And so I 100% agree with you that I think Leo, and I don't know if that's, I, I, I think SpaceX has a higher, uh, is going to have a, a much higher hill to climb there because um, the way that they've designed their satellites doesn't actually uh, embed a very much uh, a lot of jam resistant or encryption protected connectivity elements within it. And plus they're not, in order for them to get to the price points that he's talking about, they're cheap, meaning that they're not high rel, which is high rel reliability uh, componentry. So he, he would, he, they would, they will get some piece, right? Some maybe lower, lower priority communication systems that the military will, will put through their networks. I actually think that uh, the the DOD will have a hybrid of their own LEO um, system plus uh, a commercial backend that's more palatable in terms of their their uh, encryption capabilities um, and, the, and a geo backbone. And then the reason why 
Um, there are certain applications that, like you said, that you you would want to have low latency. And there are other applications where you, it's just about, you know, connectivity in various regions. And Leo, Leo's problem is that without, and if you want, uh, you know, now, now you got me, you know, start getting me to dork out on this, but um, if you do not have landing gateways in various parts of the world, then you're not going to have a, a gateway in China or Russia or Mongolia or Iran or any of the countries that the DOD cares about. So how do you get that information back? The answer is intersatellite lasers for, for Leo. Unfortunately for Elon and SpaceX and everyone else, that still is a, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's it's a dream. Now, now, what do I mean by that? It's, you can do it, but you can't do it at the price point that he wants. Yeah. And so, sure, you know, again, like I, look, I always check, you know, my, you know, um, my desire to say, oh, that's never going to happen because I was, you know, clearly wrong, right? People funded him and it's, it's going to happen. Um, and, but the, these bad, these first 1400 or whatever he's at now satellites don't have ISL and he, in his initial, uh, uh, launch requests and, uh, uh petitions for, to the SEC had those and they had to take them out because they couldn't get the lasers correct. And I know he tweeted out and I was going to, it's coming. Okay. Well, let's see. I have also checked in a bunch of, you know, specialized as laser people who that's the only thing that they do. And, and they don't think that, you know, that he can do it at the price point. I'm not saying functionality, that there's two different things, functionality and price, right? So you can have the functionality, but if he wants to have a system that, that doesn't cost him $18 billion as opposed to $9 billion, then he needs to be correct on the actual cost side. And, and as far as I can tell, um, I haven't found anyone that can hit those numbers and they're coming from a very specialized perspective. So maybe, maybe you can do it. I, let's see. But anyway, going back to my point, like you're, what you're talking about is a, is a five to seven year problem. Maybe, maybe if they can figure out how to do inter, inter satellite lasers and actually put a birds up that can communicate and backhaul information to the necessary uh, uh, government elements. And, you know, if you're flying the, the reconnaissance drone in the middle of Iran looking for, you know, a nuke base, like, that's great, but you have to have a way to get the info back. Anyway, mm -hmm. long story short, there is a need for, there will be a need for geo in many locations that Leo is irrelevant. And most of the locations that the government cares about, Leo will be irrelevant. I, I think the coolest thing you said in that entire thing was the fact that you have specialized laser guys that you talk to. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool to have a specialized laser guys. But, can, uh, and yeah, can I jump in real quick? Yeah, just, yeah I, I was actually going to just, uh, Go just to jump in on that a little bit. So it, it, I think we we as a firm do not want to underestimate any of the competition, especially Starlink and SpaceX. But they're just realities that are um, that everyone has to take into consideration. One is that um, SpaceX doesn't have, well, SpaceX, but Starlink does not have uh, really a government military business right now. We spoke to a former SpaceX engineer who said that he, Elon had to be convinced almost after the fact that encryption 
and jam resistance were an important part because he wasn't really thinking about it from a military perspective. Now, of course, they can solve any technological problem. But my point is that Viasat has a multi-decade relationship with the government and the military. They're going to have a multi, like half a decade to a full decade lead in terms of providing connectivity to and and and, and equipment to the military. And then if to layer on, on top of that, um, the fact that Sorry, I lost it. Um, That's where, where was I going with that? Um, you know, it, this this conversation does remind me again, and not to bring everything back to cable, but you know, Google Fiber was everyone was terrified of Google Fiber for the longest time. That that's the company that was. I mean, Google is a behemoth. They've got unlimited pocketbooks. They they could argue for Google Fiber that they were building out, and they didn't even need it to be economic because they could make the vague argument, hey owning the customer, having them do four more searches a month or something is going to be great for our business. They had all these arguments, but in the long run, they ran into physics and they ran into the issues of physics, you know, going and lying this fiber and doing home by home builds is really expensive. And even for a company with Google's pocketbooks, the physics and the economics of it, eventually it came came back to haunt them. And they looked at it and said, we can't do this. And, you know, with LEO, I think there's advantages, but as you guys are saying, Eventually, they're going to run into there's physics and economic problem that even SpaceX at $100 billion can't uh, can't overcome. Sorry, I remember what I was going to say. Go ahead. Viasat's already making Leos, which, which we haven't said. Viasat is already making Leos for the military. Right. It, right, Eugene, this is already happening. Right. So they, they have a trial uh, that they've, I think, to that they've um, built for. Uh, was it the Air Force? I think it was the Air Force um, to try. Um, again, going back, so I, the the military will never go to one hundred percent anything, right? Yeah. Redundancy is the number one thing for them. They still have a WGS system in in the satellite space that was built and designed in nineteen like eighty six that they're operating and spending billions of dollars on. Why? Because they know that in in the nuclear blast, that thing will still be you know transmitting. So. Um, you know, I, I, again, it, it's, I, I love the military side. Um, I honestly think that people just don't get it. It's, it's much harder to do diligence on, on that side as well, because, you know, what are you going to do? Are you, you going to call up an uh, Air Force general and ask them about, uh, you know, the, the future pro- programs that they're on? Yeah, right, right. So anyway, um, you know, I, th- I think that's really where uh, people miss what, Viasat is, and you know, the, you know, and I get it, right? That all the like, like you said, the Wall Street Journal puts out these pieces, and 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 gadget, and and whoever, right? I mean, it's 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 cool, right, to write about um, uh, SpaceX, and as it should be. Um, but uh, is it cool? But pe- people want to read it, right? Like yeah. Elon Musk's tweets are some of the most popular, engaging tweets out there. People want to read. It's a sexy, exciting story. People don't want to read. Viasat's got a four-year-old satellite that covers a lot of things and delivers data pretty cheaply. They want to hear 500 satellites flying around in space and covering everything really quickly. Uh, look, I want to be cognizant of time. It's been over an hour. Viasat's a, it's an interesting story. It's a complicated story. Obviously, you guys have done a lot of work on it. I want to make sure with both of you and uh, Ben, why don't we start with you? Is there anything that you wish we had covered or any piece that you think a lot of people missed? That miss when they think of Viaset that uh, that you think they should be aware of. We'll start with Ben, and then Eugene. We'll flip it over to you after this, so we can make sure everybody's getting the overall overview of this. Yeah, there's not one thing. I actually have a list of bullet points that I'd like to to go through, and it's it, yeah, it'll be through a couple pretty quick. Um, it, the uh, 
prior FCC and regulators uh, basically allowed Starlink and others to put up Leos and, and basically cover the sky with very, very limited from what we can see regulation or desire to study whether it makes sense or worry about space debris or the environmental impact. Um, and so I think everyone just assumes that, that he's going to get, this is, this is Elon, you know, whatever, eight to 12,000 satellites. Um, I will just say that there's a lot of pushback, um, you know, on the, and a lot of pressure on the Biden administration to reconsider just like unfettered access to the sky, whether it's governments have issues with that. I know there's been discussion, so I'm leading you somewhere, but you know, like if I'm Russia, EU, whatever, I'm not going to be super happy that the U S is just saying, Hey, Elon, put 10,000 satellites up there. Just kind of leading. Correct. Correct. And so um, if, if, the, if the base case of every investor who's looking at this space is that there will be no regulation, we see regulation at all of, you know, and we think there's a legitimate reason for it as well, because, and Eugene could talk about it, but there's something called the Kessler syndrome, where the number, especially with, with, with as many objects are going to be in low orbit, it's not like you add one more satellite and there's only, there's a, a, a linear increase in the, in the risk of a space collision. It's actually exponential. And so, you know, there is an enormous amount of risk here that where, where whatever, you put X number of satellites out there, that you hit a tipping point, then the space junk problem already exists is that, and, and then all of a sudden you, you hit, you know, there's, there's a bunch of debris that, that, that that's created as a result, as a result of a collision, it gets close to the international space system station. All of these things have already happened. Right. And if you're going to be putting tens of thousands of more satellites up there without understanding the, that risk and appreciating that risk, we just think that, that the regulators are, are could look at this more closely. And if it does, I think that that benefits them, you know, the incumbents and, and bias that because they have a geo, right? They're going to put up one more, you know, three more satellites versus, you know, must launch 60 at a time. Um, you know, another thing about Viasat is people are always, and, and this is like, this is a, people think very linearly and they're like, well, what, what's going to make this grow? And they look for a silver bullet. There is no silver bullet here. It's all, the answer is everything, right? So maybe rural broadband is not what we thought it was going to be, but community Wi-Fi wasn't even on our radar really a few years ago until they started off in Mexico, IFC, in-flight Wi-Fi, you know, we didn't really talk about it, but the fact is, you know, when, when the, the two Viasat three um, constellations are up in EMEA and APAC, we're going to have transatlantic and trans-Pacific connectivity that do not exist today. So you're going to be able to hop on a plane from, to from, from, you know, Tokyo to LA or um, LA to, 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 to Munich, and you're going to have connectivity through a lot more, through a large portion of that, and it's going to be fast, and it's going to completely change transatlantic, trans-Pacific flying because you're going to have an internet connection. So the answer is not one thing; it's everything. And 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 so one of the things that Eugene pointed out is like this is a really hard stock for people to evaluate because they're like, well, what is the growth? Well, it's it's everything. It's military plus in-flight Wi-Fi, community Wi-Fi, and rural broadband. Um, I think the other thing, you know, Viasat's not to the degree that SpaceX is where they can launch their own satellites with their launch vehicles, but Viasat is heavily vertically integrated, right? And they've become more vertically integrated. And that means they're going to be more profitable. As we talked about, there's this, you know, I look at the, the, the being involved in the hardware for the Link 16 um, and, and base stations. That that's a form of vertical integration because you you're providing the hardware and then you can provide the connectivity. I just don't think a lot of people appreciate the synergies between those two things. Um, and then another thing that people don't talk about is that 
look, there's a lot of hype around space, right? You know, you know, Kathy Wood's going to, you know, launch a space ETF. And there's all these SPACs that are merging with space companies. Now, Viasat has hardware that they can sell to all of these companies, ground stations and base stations. And so they, they can benefit from their from the commercial network segment from, from just that activity. So that, there's another thing that really people don't talk about and, and maybe underappreciating. Um, I think... Um, you know, Eugene put this out there, but I think people are too, again, thinking too binary. Leo or Geo, which one? The answer is both. Um, and, you know, whether that's rural broadband, whether that's military, and and, I, and we talked about this before, but, you know, at home, you know, as you're getting your broadband, is there one provider? No, I mean, unless you're in a rural place where there's almost no fiber, right, you're probably having, you have probably two or three different options, Right. This is not a winner take all market. If, if anything, it, like people are so used to looking at software companies, this is one of the least satellite connectivity is one of the least scalable things you can possibly imagine. As opposed to network effects, they're actually, you know, disenergies and, and, and negative effects the more users that go on. Right. So the more successful you are, the more users you get, the, the worse the experience is for the existing players. So that's the other thing to remember is that, you know, no one's this is not a winner take all. Right. There's not going to be one satellite player out there using serving everybody. Just like in home broadband, there's going to be multiple players. There's going to be, you know, they're going to have different sales forces. And the competitive advantage is how cheaply you can provide it, I think. Um, and then, you know, I think. Again, an, another binary way of thinking is that everyone thinks that like Starlink's success means that Viasat cannot be successful. And we just don't agree with that. If Starlink is successful and it expands the total addressable market for everybody, Viasat, as Eugene pointed out so eloquently, is going to get a share of that. And they're kind of a play on the same thing, which is that you have exploding bandwidth demands, which we haven't really, you know, really dove into. But I think 70, I think I read that 70 to 80% of usage right now is video. Um, in the U.S. For, for connectivity. And if you look at the amount of growth that we've seen, I mean, some of it's COVID-induced as people are staying at home. But if you look at the consumption as, as the, all of the streaming services have absolutely proliferated, it's enormous, right? So that gets to the TAM. It gets to the capacity question you asked. Like, there is demand for that capacity, right? And so I don't think Starlink and, and, and Viasat are like these binary things where you can only own one. You can own both, um, you know, assuming Elon finds a way for other people to invest in it. But in any case, like you're not, it's, it's not like one is six, it's not a zero sum game is pr probably the best way to, to, to describe it. Um, and um, I think, I, I think those are my, my top ones. So those, the things that we just see here over and over again, that we, we kind of tear our hair out. Um, and look, the, the company has not done an amazing job at PR or IR to, 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 to be out there arguing these points. And Musk, with his unbelievable ability to hype things, has won the PR battle. If you, but you'll notice that, that's, that Viasat has started to get the message, um, and they are out there a lot more. Um, I think there's just they've been in this waiting game, and until they have Viasat 3 up, until you have the Americas 1 up, until you start putting the EMEA 1 up, people are going to doubt it. Um, but it's when you start seeing the results, you're seeing the subscribers, you're seeing the free cash flow. That's when it's going to be okay. This is this is what Mark said it was going to be, um, and I think there's going to be a, a sentiment shift regarding like 
you know, the, all of the shorts you mentioned and, and, and all of the, you know, the naysayers who are just sure that that Starlink or, or Kuiper or Telestat are going to, you know, destroy what, what the uh, existing biosat is. Eugene, uh, same thing, anything you wish we had discussed or anything you kind of just wanted to hit on a little harder before we maybe wrap this thing up? Yeah, that's a, (laughs) Ben had a pretty good summary. Uh, I mean, the only thing I I would add is no one ever talks about the commercial network side. And I know Ben kind of touched on it, but uh, uh, the fact that, you know, they can provide uh, third party hardware to remote sensing stations and and folks that uh, are in, um, you know, juice. Other avenues of satellite tech delivery, AKA like taking pictures of the earth and uh, how do you get that information back down? And um, they, they just, they can provide a lot of the uh, hardware necessary to enable some of the more uh, very cool stuff that's coming down the pipe. And, and a lot of the specs that are being raised are, are kind of concentrated. A lot of the things that will actually help with order backlogs in the commercial network system. So that's, that's kind of my only thing. Um, but I know Ben already kind of touched on literally everything else. So uh, um, I'll end it there. I have one more for us. ESG Viasat, ultimate ESG company. How so? It, the, the idea that we were going to that Mark uh, Mark Zuckerberg and and who else was it some and and Google were going to connect through Loon we're going to connect all these people who would never touch the internet in places like you know Mexico and Brazil and Africa and all the places that Viasat is already doing so right like if you if you think that there's a there's a societal global social benefit of people having internet connectivity in a way that they never have biosat has created a community wi-fi model that actually gives people connectivity um and so you know from a you know from an esg perspective i think that's actually a pretty cool thing that they don't talk about um and and other people have like you know like had all these goals of doing it and have failed at it and, and somewhere under the radar biosat's already doing it Look, I, I love that you're out here pitching for ESG. I, I know Viasat and Loral, I've had people say, hey, I'd like to come on the podcast and talk Viasat or Loral. Or when they heard you were coming on, they emailed and they're like, look, the, the most important thing at this point is I need them to pitch this as a space play and get it into Kathy Wood's space ETF. That, that's what's really going to drive the flows in the near term. So I, I did think when you said you guys want to talk about it, I thought, oh, maybe they want me to tag Kathy Wood when I post this on Twitter and see if we can get this put in. Let, let me wrap this up with one thing, just something I'm trying to do with all my things. So, you know, I'm looking at your March 2020 slides, best idea by us at price 42 uh, target within three years, 125 to 160. As we mentioned, there's been a little equity issuance. The shares are at 52. So it's actually done pretty well since then. But, uh, you know, if I'm thinking three, five, seven years out, you know, what's kind of the not the Super Bowl case, not the you know, what's kind of y'all's most reasonable base case for what we're playing for here? They both they both thought I, and looked at each other. Dr. Evil. Do we want to say 200? Do we want to say 100? I, look, I, I don't you know. I, you, okay, you said reasonable. Okay, so, you know, not not like, uh, uh, you know, I guess best case. I think reasonable is um, 105 to 115 once they start kind of showing, you know, sh- sh- showing the show me crowd um, actual revenue coming from the satellites and, and an expanding of the cash flow gen- generation from 
their their network from the when the the not only the North America one but the EMEA one comes up, and you'll start seeing the cash flow from operations start to inflect upwards again and approach not only a break even on the capex but actually provide free cash flow. And I think that'll be one of the big drivers of the stock. They'll take it into the hundreds uh, even after the dilution. Um, now you know cuckoo values, yeah. Yeah, it was the Intel set. You know, if they had been allowed to monetize C band, that stock would have been a, you know, it might have been 200 per share these days. You said, I'm just going to use 100. And I think that's approaching around a $10 billion EV if I'm doing the math in my head correctly. So would I be right in saying you think this company, you know, five years out, 300 to 400 million annually in in free cash flow is kind of right? Or how are you kind of just thinking about the long term steady state economics of this? Once buys have threes up, buys have all that. Okay, well, and now you're getting to like <laughs> what, what? we are running really long. So if you, yeah. no, no, that, that's cool. Um, you know, again, I, I models are almost entirely worthless. I think you know farther than like one week out. Um, so, uh, but uh, if you're asking, you are uh, after the full constellation is up, the maintenance capex, and they'll never really be at maintenance because yeah. you know, Mark, Mark's already talking about you know the the fourth generation, which is you put out an eight terabit number ah, per, per satellite, which is insane to think about. Uh, but anyway, you know, the, the maintenance numbers be somewhere between four and $600 million of capital expenditures. Right. And like, I, I usually, you know, I, I tell people like they're, I hate EBITDA in this case because they truly have a, you know, a capital charge. Really but, yeah, really exactly. Like, it's not, this, this isn't like, a, Oh, well, you know, EBITDA is a, no, it's not. It's the you know they have a real capital charge, but uh, the cash flow from operations number should start approaching somewhere around like one point three to one point five billion. So you can kind so of do the math. Talking about this is after tax CFO yeah. less capex. You're talking about a billion dollars annually, and the market cap is what is it? I'm just pulling a blue. Current market cap's three and a half billion. EVs five billion. So you know if you're right and you do that, it, actually you said a hundred. But if you're right, you're you're probably playing for a lot more than a hundred on on that. Yeah, I don't I don't even want to say it because again I you know I've already uh, already looks stupid <laughs> for most of you like oh this guy's putting out a, you know one like one twenty five to one sixty and this thing is like thirty dollars already moron. Um, but you know honestly this is this is a, this is a, I think what you when you know again I don't look at the sales side stuff too but I think. That that cone of variability, as you as you put it out, like forty two to whatever the top one was, that, that's that's indicative of a stock that you can make outsized returns on because the general uh, uh, you know kind of dispersion of expectation is so immense that I don't believe that this could be properly priced in the market. It, it, and look, it sounds stupid when you say it's at forty, and I think it can be worth. I'm just going to pull a number four hundred. But, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes I, I made and I'm trying to get better is I buy a stock at five and I put in my notes, hey, I think this could happen. And I think if it does happen, this is not a five dollar stock. It's a fifty dollar stock. And then it drifts up to 11. I'm like, oh, you know, let me trim a lot here. And I'm not adjusting for, oh, the case where it was really bullish that I thought could happen. No one else thought could happen. It's increasingly more likely. So I need to hold this because this home run scenario, not only is it on the table, it's like in play and increasingly the odds are for it. Ben, uh, I'll wrap it up with you. A- any last thoughts or anything we haven't hit you wanted to mention briefly? No, I mean, 
if I think Eugene has done a really nice job of summarizing why this is one of our largest positions, we're very close to it. Um, and, you know, in, in to your point, maybe too close to sometimes. And so that's why we're always interested in engaging with people and understanding, you know, what, 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 what they think is wrong with this thesis, where, where they think we're, we're missing something where, where we might be overstating things. But I think I just want to finish with this. The idea is that in, you know, this, it's not that hard to understand what they do. Right. It's not this isn't some kind of esoteric biotech where, you're, you know, there's this, you know, you have to understand the, the chemistry and the science. It, it, it's there. It is. It has a technology aspect to it, but it's not t- too hard to understand. Like, you know, they're providing broadband and hardware to people. It's not, it's it, not it, an esoteric biotech. It's only rocket science. It's only rocket science. Um, you know, easy, easy stuff for Eugene, but for the rest of us. Um, but my point is like, there's just a lot of nuances here and there's a lot of work to do. And the typical yep. sell side analyst, not that we pay, you know, to pay attention to, but the sell side analyst, like the typical person who covers is this, this, a, a telecom stock doesn't cover defense. Right. And so, you know, they have a lot of trouble, I think, understanding it. So there's, there's a lot of misunderstandings and misperceptions. You know, we, it, a lot can go right and a lot can go wrong. If you go through our presenta- recent presentation on this, we list any number of risk factors. So we, we want to make sure that you understand Like we're, we're, we have a pretty balanced view of this. It's just, it, it, the fact is, if they do what they can say they can do on a, on a cost per bit basis and they get those satellites up and the TAM continues to grow, it's almost going to be, uh, you know, I hate the word inevitability, but it's really just going to be it's filling up satellites as opposed to, all of this, any other heavy lifting. And if they can do that with a commercial organization they have um, and, you know, continue to build a military business, this is going to be a forever stock for us. Um, and, and, and that's, and, you know, that's why we've been such good. I think we've been evangelists for it for that reason, because we see something that we've, that has been latent. It's been hidden by COVID. It's been hidden by delays and satellite launches it's been, you know, hidden in this like delay between Viasat 2 and the Viasat 3 constellation. And this is kind of the inflection point. And that's why we think it's interesting to, for people to start working now because it's going to take you a little time to get up on it. Um, so um, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, go to our website, CoveStreetCapital.com. You can see other podcasts we've done on this topic. Um, we've also, you know, there's a number of PowerPoint presentations we've done. Um, but if you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and, you know, anybody who has the short case, we look forward to engaging with you. Well, look, I'll, I'll be sure to include a, a link to uh, the website in the show notes. So anybody who's listening can see it there. I, I, I have the presentation. I think I can link to it in the show notes. If no, not, we'll figure it out. But uh, Eugene, Ben, thank you guys so much for coming on. The work's been great. Really interesting name. Great conversation. And uh, looking forward to having you guys again in the future, whether it's when Viasat 3 launches or when we're talking about the next one. But thanks again, guys. Thanks, Andrew.